some uh some good weather i was talking earlier this morning and it's so funny right in uh california are we always behind a season or what we are not i mean is this is this what is this what fall feels like this is like the first day it's even somewhat overcast i guess you could get sunburned by this too if you are at the beach long enough you get burned up without sunblock even though it's gray but anyways um yeah I mean, I was beautiful. I mean, it, it made me think of the book of Revelation when it talks about the 24 elders around the throne. And I don't know. You know, we don't we have no idea. Maybe there's amps and guitars and all kind of equipment there. I mean, it's, it's going to be the, the new heaven and the new earth. So that stuff is going to be there. I believe there's going to be dogs there and animals and all that. But in that instance, you know, those 24 elders, they, they are down on their hands and their face. And they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. And like it was alluded to, I don't, I don't see anything in the, script, in the text there that says that there's all kind of instruments in this and that. It's the heart condition. Those 24 elders know through and through that the Lord is the only one worthy of honor and praise like that. And so that's a beautiful thing. Um, you know, I think if anything 2020 has taught us is expect the curveball. I think if anything 2020 has taught us the virtues of the Christian life, expect the craziest, strangest things to happen because that's just the world we live in. And uh, the good thing is we can always rely and trust in the Lord despite whatever comes our way. And that's where our confidence, that's where our hope, that's where our security lies. He's our strong tower. He's our mighty fortress. As long as we don't forsake that and that principle understanding, you're going to be all right. There's going to be difficult things that come, but you're going to be able to stand the test of time because you're standing upon the solid rock, right? You're the house that's on the rock that's not going to get knocked down and get tossed to and fro because it was the foundations in the sand in the shiftiness of this world. Amen? All right. This morning we're going to be starting Acts chapter 20. I can't believe, I, mean, I don't know how, I don't, it's been at least two years we've been in the book of Acts. That's a trip. I mean, I had no idea, you know, um, and, and topicals are great. You know, I love the, the message that Daniel brought last week. Uh, it was very timely and poignant, and it spoke to the fact that God meets us where we're at. I also love and enjoy going through a book of the Bible, and I'm, I'm just grateful that we're staying the course and we're continuing to go through the book of Acts. So um, with that, we're in Acts chapter 20. We'll be going through verses 1 through 6 when you get there on uh, your mobile device or your physical Bible. If you could stand uh, quickly, I'll go ahead and read the word and then uh, we'll get started. I know, sorry, I know you guys are probably all cozy out here already. You're like, dude, stand, dude. It's like <laughs> I'm just I'm sitting in my lounge chair. But if we could stand real quick for the word of God, we'll go ahead and read and then we'll pray. All right. Acts chapter 20, verses 1 through 6. Forgive me if I butcher some of these names. It's just kind of, you know, I'm not there yet with my Greek. After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples. And after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. When he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months. And while a plot was made against him by the Jews, as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. Sopater, the Berean, son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him. And of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Segundus, and Gaius of Derby and Timothy and the Asians, Tychius and Trophomius, Trophius, excuse me. These went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas, but we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread and in five days we came to them at troas where we stayed for seven days let's go ahead and pray father god thank you again for just this opportunity to come before you as brothers and sisters in christ as a part of your church part of your body and lord we look to honor you lord we come first and foremost to give praise as that song says lord to give thanksgiving to give all that we have to you lord to give an uh, offering to you. And secondly, we come to receive from you. Whatever it is in your word, Lord, encouragement, conviction, correction, reproof, all those things we need daily. And so, Father, will you speak to us through your word? We love you and we thank you. We pray this all in Jesus Christ's precious name. Amen. All right. So today, we will see 
that sometimes the Lord will move his servants from one location of believers to another. Hence the title of this message, Moving Parts, Encouraging the Church. In context right here, this would be about the last time during the second missionary journey that Paul would be uh, on, uh, where he would be in Ephesus. After these recent riots, so we got to uh, rewind back a couple of weeks. Remember, there was the whole thing. Uh, they're praising Artemis. The, the, the silversmiths were getting everybody in an uproar. Uh, that kind of has ended right now. So after these recent riots, this is time for Paul to leave. He felt led by the Holy Spirit to get out of that area to move on. Paul would move on to Macedonia. He'd also go to Philippi. He'd go back to Troas and go to Minutus. I don't have, uh, obviously, a map to show you exactly where these regions are in the world, but they're back east, in the far in the Middle East, and this is the area, or that day, present-day Europe. They're all in that kind of region. That's what was going on and in Asia, that one little cluster of land there. During this time, Paul would continue to edify and uplift a wide range of believers from various backgrounds within the church. That's what the crux of this message is. It's exactly what Jesus Christ did, and it's Paul's a great example, but Paul's example is really emulating Christ, and this is what we need to see in the text today. Where is Jesus in this text? How do I see Jesus being emulated through his servant Paul? And that's what we want to focus on this morning in our short time together. There's several main, point, main points this morning, and the first one is this. I already alluded to it. The Lord always has a purpose for where you and I are located and how long we will remain in that physical location. If you notice in your Bibles, in our text this morning, there are three different periods of time. The first one is three months. The next is five days. The last is seven days. Different increments of time, three different locations, but one ultimate goal and purpose. Now we know the triune God is not bound by space and time, right? We live in three dimensions, but God exists outside of space and time. That's one attribute that makes him sovereign. I love the analogy of who 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 saw who watched the Rockets the other night? This is kind of aside from the everything everything, but I don't know. Anybody watch the Rockets? Anybody <laughs> maybe me and my wife, we watched the Rockets. It was funny. We watched the Macy Day parade on Thanksgiving. It's funny how they cut off well, these performers really aren't even good anymore, but I think the only old school performer they had was Patty LaBelle, but they're cutting off everybody. They do like one verse and go to commercial, cut off this and that. Anyways, the whole point, uh, what I'm bringing up is, so when you watch the Macy Day Parade, right, as a human, we see the floats as they come. God, because he's outside of space and time, it's like he's almost on top of the, you know, the big uh, skyscraper or maybe in a Goodyear blimp, and he sees every single float that's going to come along that path, right? He sees from a different vantage point. And so I bring that up because... In these different increments of time and different locations, there's one ultimate goal and purpose, and it's to glorify God through the building up of the saints. Similar to Paul, Jesus Christ has a unique, specific plan for each and every one of us here today. This includes physical locations we live in for certain durations of time, or like Lou, He's always traveling to and fro from work. I mean, this man is probably the most traveled person I know personally because he's never in one place long, but there's a purpose for that. And it's, 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 it's deeper than on the surface it can be business, but there's so much more to that. There's a reason why the Lord is allowing this man to move to and for, fro like that. And it's for the purpose of to edify the saints and to also spread the truth of who Jesus Christ is. When, wherever we are stationed, we need to be preoccupied with serving God, not the length of time that we are or not, or we aren't somewhere. The reality is, if the earth, if this place, if this physical planet that we're living on, where we've, uh, you know, some of us have uh, amassed houses, some of us have amassed other things of, 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 of worldly uh, value, 
But if this is not our final destination, if this is not our resting place eternally, then it really shouldn't matter where the Lord would choose to have us or not have us on the earth. Does that make sense? Amen? Uh, you know, I would always crack jokes when I first started pastoring this church about this armpit that we live in. Uh, the garbage dump, the diaper of Milpitas, right? And I, I really haven't, maybe because I haven't been out that much, or maybe because I live off Landis now, but I don't smell that diaper smell so much anymore. Uh, but, you know, for what it's worth, there's a reason why we're here. You, you ask yourself, why do you live in the, in the most expensive place in the world? Uh, what is it? A uh, Hewlett Packard, they just moved their headquarters to Texas because, uh, you know, I think one, because of, you know, these taxes are so high in the state of California and with all this stuff going on with the pandemic and whatnot, they're like, I'm getting out of here. I'm going to go somewhere else where it's a little bit cheaper and I can have a more sustainable business. A lot of people have up and left because it's just too darn expensive to live here. Very strange, right? Well, why are you still here? Why am I still here? This is also the most unchurched region in the United States of America, right? There's a lot of dark stuff spiritually that goes on within the Bay Area and where we live. And so there's a reason, there's a purpose that me and you are here. And when that time comes, if the Lord calls us to go somewhere else, we'll go somewhere else. But for now, we're here. And that purpose is to reflect the light of Jesus Christ to unbelievers around us. And Lord willing, people will be saved. All right, the second main point is this. From different locations come different believers with different life experiences, but one learned reality of their need for Christ. Today we will learn about several different believers that Paul would travel with, two in particular that I'd like us to focus on in this message. This will serve as a great reminder that God is fully devoted in the restoration business. He's all about restoring the souls of men and women. I'll use the example of cars just for kicks. It doesn't matter if you're a broke down Chevy Nova or a brand new $200,000 Lamborghini that just got wrecked. God wants to restore you from the inside out. And we're going to see that with these two examples that I'll specify as we get into the message. The third main point is this. Anyone who will not willfully humble themselves before Jesus Christ is an enemy to God and to His work. You see, it wasn't just the pagans in Ephesus who were rebellious against the work of the Lord. But here in Greece, we'll see that some of Paul's fellow Jews actually plotted to kill him. And this kind of may sound like the same old, same old. This isn't the first rodeo that Paul's been through. But we see that some of his fellow Jews really took the time to try to take him out. Does it sound familiar? Well, this is, it should, because this is the same exact thing that happened to Jesus, right? Think about it. The religious leaders, these were supposed to be the ones that knew the law, that upheld the law, that lived by it, that should have been the ones to love their neighbors as their self, to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Yet, they were jealous of Jesus. They didn't like his teachings. They didn't like how he challenged their uh, understanding of what was going on. And they plotted an attack to kill him and to take him out. The point is, the work of the gospel is attacked not only from non-believers, but also from some who claim to be worshipers of this very same God. It is very disturbing to me that in some pulpits, there are men and women standing in place saying, I don't teach about sin. I don't teach about Satan because it makes my congregation uncomfortable. Well, that's the whole point of the gospel, to make you uncomfortable, but then there's light at the, end of the, at the end of the tunnel because the reward is Jesus Christ and salvation, which is Him, is what you receive when you understand that you're wretched, poor, blind, and naked apart from Him, and that's your condition as a human being. It doesn't matter. You can blame the first Adam, but if any of us would have been Adam, we would have done the same thing. Maybe not in the same instance, maybe not in the same day, but somebody would have did it, and somebody would have blamed Eve, and then Eve would have blamed the serpent, and it would have been the same old situation, right? I hate when people try to overanalyze these things and say, well, if I, it wasn't on me. It wasn't on me. I wasn't there. I didn't do it. It's like, dude, you have a crummy heart. <laughs> Let's just get that over and done with, right? Apart from Christ, we're all 
wretched, poor, blind, and naked. But again, humility has to come into play. If we haven't been affected by the gospel yet, then we're not going to take that humble stance and have to say, you know what, man, Lord, I have to admit, I, I, I kinda, I, I'm, not, I'm not too great apart from you. But there's freedom in Christ to serve him when you realize your state. But then that's the cool thing, is that the Lord doesn't leave you in that pitiful, wretched, poor, blind, and naked condition. He restores and rebuilds you and, re- and creates you into what you were supposed to be. And you could, in, you could enjoy that lifestyle here on earth. You don't have to wait till you get to heaven to live the life that you were supposed to really live. Oh, that's cool. The police officer came by and he didn't do anything about us. That's pretty cool. Praise God. Why? Because I saw him kind of creeping a little slowly out of the, out of the, um, the parking lot. But that's cool that he didn't say nothing. Yeah, invite him to church, man. You know, let him hear the word. God bless him. All right. This, again, is why it's so important, right, for us to become great fruit inspectors. We have to be very good at this, right? Please don't mince my words. I'm not, I'm not saying make final judgments. But and I, that's another thing I don't really, I can't stand. I can't stand when Christians say, I, I don't judge. You're lying. <laughs> you judge. I judge. We're called to make judgments every day. If we were not making judgments, we're actually making very poor judgments, and our lifestyle is going to reflect that. We, we are supposed to make judgments. Again, not a final judgment on where someone will spend their eternity, but everyday lifestyle judgments. What kind of fruit are those around us bearing? What kind of fruit is someone who's teaching me the word of Christ bearing? Is there evidence that there is true spiritual ripe fruit in their lives? Someone that's saying this, that, and the other, right? We have to be good fruit inspectors as so as not to be deceived, right? Many people who are deceived, they are deceived because they lack discernment. And if you lack discernment, I beg to say you probably lack the Holy Spirit, Because if you have the Holy Spirit living within you on the inside, you will be convicted. You will sense your, 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 if I could say, your spidey senses will go off and you'll get that tingly sensation. No, that's not, I I just can't, I can't do it. There's something, I don't know, I can't say exactly what it is, but I'm going to stay away from it. How many times have we had that spidey sense go off, which is the Holy Spirit? He's alerted you to something, either to not do something with someone. And, and, and it ended up being a good thing that you didn't go that route. That happens a lot in the Christian's life because you have discernment. This all comes back to, again, humility and allowing the Holy Spirit to lead you and guide you in the directions in your life He'd like you to go. Okay, let's go ahead and unpack these verses now. So we'll start in verses 1 through 3. I'll read it again. And it says, After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples. And after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed from Macedonia. When he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months, and when a plot was made against him by the Jews, as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. Okay, again, so we we touched on this a few weeks back. We know that it was so crazy. The people that were there that were rioting and causing an uproar, I mean, it was so bad that some of these people didn't even realize why they were there. You're protesting. You guys aren't even protesting for the same thing. You don't even know why you're there, but you're just there causing a stir, making a mess of things. It's not good. Remember, this was a bad look. It was so bad that some of Paul's counterparts, they literally dragged these men into the theater and they weren't trying to wine and dine them. They weren't taking them to a matinee. They were trying to murk him. They were trying to kill him. They were trying to cause him harm, right? It was not good. These people were also chanting, Great is Artemis, right? Their false god for two hours straight. Ridiculous. Going way out of control, doing too much, okay? We have to really put ourselves in this picture to kind of understand. Think if you were a new believer back then. You just got converted. You witnessed all that craziness going on. Maybe you were one of the men that was dragged into the theater that they were trying to kill. This more than likely would have been a traumatic experience for you, right? Uh, 
I mean, things we can relate to. Obviously, whatever this pandemic, yes, it's traumatic, yada, yada. Uh, 9-11 is kind of like, you know, the, the next biggest thing I can think of where it's like, that was a traumatic experience. Some people hijacking a plane, going into the World Trade Centers. You're seeing debris, people falling, dying, people screaming. I mean, it's like, you know, that's traumatic. So it pictures something like that going on. This is what they just came out of. This is what these people and Paul had just come out of. Again, because an angry mob trying to kill someone, several brothers in Christ going through that. Also, I say that it was a traumatic experience because you look at the text. The text says that Paul sent the disciples after encouraging them. He didn't send them away before he encouraged them. There's one main reason why anyone would need encouragement. Why, why is that? Why, does, why would someone need encouragement? Somebody say, why, why would you need encouragement? Why do you need encouragement today? There you go. You need encouragement because we all stand the risk of being discouraged at any moment in time. Life will discourage you. The world will discourage you. The news will discourage you. The media will discourage you. Maybe some of your own family members and your closest friends will discourage you. Because discouragement is always on the horizon for the fact that we live in a fallen world, the Bible is so crystal clear time and time again of saints being encouraged, of God encouraging His people, of God raising up men and women to encourage. Remember Esther. She was a great example of encouragement. If she didn't listen to her cousin, old Mordecai, there would have been a whole thing that went on that a whole lot of people would not have been encouraged and would have been in dismay and it would have been all bad. Right? All throughout the centuries, all throughout time, you see Christians being raised up, seasoned for a purpose of encouraging, encouraging believers, encouraging those who are immature in the faith, encouraging those who are mature in the faith. We can all stand to be discouraged at any point in time. And this is no exception in our text this morning. I love this about the example of Paul, which is, again, is really an example of Jesus Christ. He wasn't just concerned about making disciples. He was just as concerned about building them up. That's an, I don't know why I'm on this tip of, I don't like this, I don't like that, but I'll say it because I believe it rings clear. I don't like this whole idea of making churches big just for the fact of making churches big, just so we can have big buildings, just so we can flaunt and, and you know, and that's where the church, unfortunately, has allowed the world to bleed into the church. When the church is saying, we're comparing, I'm comparing my spiritual size to this spiritual size over here, and my my congregation must be blessed because look at how big we are. We run four, five, six services a Sunday. And that's not to say that churches that do that, some that do not have the Holy Spirit, that are not really led. I do believe there are big churches that are really full of the Holy Spirit and the people are faithful. I'm talking about those who are ravenous wolves, who are sheeps in disguise as wolves, or the other way around, either way, they're in disguise. And it's not a good look. And they're all about judging their spiritual state by worldly standards. We cannot judge solely based on our eyes. Again, a fruit inspector, it's not just based on what the fruit looks like on the outside. You've got to take a sample, cut that sucker in half, see what's on the inside. Just because that fruit looks good on the outside, there could be worms rotting on the inside. And unfortunately, there are some parts, I wouldn't even say it is the body of Christ, there are some posing as the body of Christ, that on the outside, again, the Bible is clear, the outside of the cup looks good and is shiny, but on the inside it's all tainted and tarnished and messed up, that's not good, we can't have that. Paul was totally about not just seeing people converted, but seeing people mature and grow in their faith, become teachers right become those that can help others out right be those that are going to give back be those that are going to be poured out right our life should be poured out as an offering before the lord but how is that do we just sit in a building and get on our knees and be quiet and burn incense and that's how we're poured out that's weird and that's creepy that's not that's not the right way 
the right way is in your everyday life, the people that the Lord has put in your sphere and my sphere of influence, how are we serving and treating those individuals? That is a telltale sign if you're being poured out. Did Jesus come down and just sit like a monk all solemn in the temple and that's all he did? No, that's what the Pharisees and the Sadducees did. Jesus was out there mixing it up with hypocrites and, and sinners and, 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 you know, people that were, were, were the least likely of the kind. But Jesus' life was poured out as an offering to those. And if we're, if we're following Christ, our lifestyle needs to reflect that. We need to take a good hard look at how are we treating those around us, right? The Lord does that all the time with me and my kids. I'm spending so much time with my kids because this quarantine and it's been very good for me to really observe and see, man, <laughs> Lord, I need you to do a work in my heart, right? The wrath of man will never produce the righteousness of God. We have to understand that. I have to understand that as raising two kids, you know, young kids. You can only lash out so much, you know. The rod of reproof needs to be done in the, in the will of the Holy Spirit, not just administer because you're frustrated and upset. Same thing with anything, you know, dealing with people. Maybe you're a boss and some of your coworkers, they just are not doing a good job. There's a way to go about it, how you talk to them, how you engage with them to get the best out of them, right? And this is all part of you being poured out to honor the Lord. We got some cool little background music in the, you know, some Coronas and be drinking back there, something like that. I don't know if that was an appropriate comment. I'm being recorded on Zoom, but you know, I didn't mean no disrespect to anybody. Okay. He's not only an evangelist, right? Paul, but he's also an edifier of the saints. Both of these ministries are extremely and equally important to the health and the vitality of the church. The application is this. We are not only called to evangelize the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are also called to edify the existing saints that we know. Again, this may seem rhetorical, but it's, it's so interesting how we forget the same basic fundamental things that we should be knowing, that we should be golden on, and so it needs to be reiterated. And plus, this is just what's in the text. I can only preach and teach what's in the text. With, everyone, with everything going on with the world, and our country in particular, it's easy to get sucked into trying to decipher. This is a big one, right? A lot of people are trying to decipher, if, is this the end? Is this the end of the world? I keep hearing that over and over. This is the end. This is the end. It was the end in Y2K. It was the end when 9-11 happened. I mean, honestly, the reality, and I'm sharing this because this is what I believe the Lord showed me a long time ago. The end of the world is when your life is over. Just put it like that. And I, and, and I have scripture to back that up. I have scripture to back that up. Matthew chapter 24, verse 36. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. Jesus himself said that. So if Jesus is saying that, spare yourself. Spare myself any stress that we don't need. Quit trying to figure out when the end of the world is coming. Because that's going to rob you of your joy. That's going to rob you of what you're supposed to be doing now. People get hung up on that. Do not get hung up on, is this the end? When your heart beats the last time and you take your last breath and you feel your, 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 your spirit coming out of your body and you're going to ascend to be with Jesus... And you got to say goodbye to your loved ones and wish them well. And I'll have all the, the different emotions that go on with that, right? Because you don't want to leave those you love, but you know you got to be on, go on to a better place. And hopefully you imparted enough of Christ in them to where they're going to carry on and live out that legacy of being a real, true, through and through Christian when you leave. That's when the end of the world is going to happen for you and for me. But in, unless Jesus comes back now, and we don't know, so I'm not going to worry about the rapture and get caught up in that. There's work to be done aside from that. There's a reason why I'm sharing this. Trust me. <laughs> okay. There's daily responsibility that we have to the saints and those around us. How can we be great edifiers and evangelizers and build up the saints if we're preoccupied about being consumed with the end of the world? We can't. 
for someone who think about someone you don't know, somebody who don't even know Christ, and 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 they don't hear us saying, "Man, Jesus is great. Jesus is so loving." This, this, you know, my life was like this, and now it's like this, and and, and I, I I just I love people, and and I, and I and I love to serve them, and I love to see people grow in Christ. But if, if someone who doesn't even know Jesus, if they don't hear that coming out, if they don't hear that being the heart of what we're saying, but they hear we're talking about, oh, well, you know, because the pandemic and this and that, and, 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 you know, now they got this and the Pfizer vaccine and they got to give two of them and I don't trust it and none of this and that, da, 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 you know, and that's all they hear. That's like fear. That's nervousness. That's, 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 that's being angry and, and strained. That's not a good witness. How is that going to witness to someone about the love of Christ, right? The reality is it's not attractive. We need to be more concerned with controlling our tongues, controlling our anger, filtering out what we allow into our minds. We need to be more focused on our conduct as people of Christ, whether it's in private or in public, and live above reproach. I say all those things because leading to truly love our neighbors as ourselves these are the things that will transfer to building up and edifying the saints. Do you see do you, do you see the trail in there? That's why all those things are so important. Not to be preoccupied with all these other things, but to be preoccupied with what is my conduct before you, Lord? What is my conduct before people? Keeping short accounts with the Lord, right? Allowing him to show you what you're supposed to be doing. And I'll just give a quick example because this is what happened just this morning. You know, usually... I read through my notes before I come up here, right? I mean, earlier in the week, right? I usually send the questions out to Christy on Friday. I do a little bit every day, blah, blah, blah. For whatever reason, I was lazy this week and I didn't read. I didn't read through my notes until this morning. So I'm at the table and I'm, you know, eating some Captain Crunch and, you know, I got this iPad out and, 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 and I see my son and he's like, daddy, I want breakfast. And I'm like, dude, his mom's in the bathroom. And I'm like, in my flesh, I'm like, dude, you can wait for your mom. The Lord convicted me. Get your son a bowl of cereal. Stop what you're doing. Because first of all, fool, you should have been reading these notes before this morning. Now you want to go cram in and do it now. So I got him a bowl. And then my sister's at, uh, my sister, my daughter's at the, at the little, the, the, <coughs> the, the kitty, uh, you know, uh, thing. And she's like this, mama. Mama, and she keeps calling me, oh man, she keeps calling me mama. I'm like, dad, 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 you can say it. She said dad the other day. I don't know if she said duh or if she was trying to say dad. But either way, she's like, mama. I'm like, Lord's like, get your daughter up, get her in that high, uh, high chair and let her be with you guys too. I share all that and it's a silly little story, but it's like, again, what are the priorities? What, what is going to really transfer? You know, is, is it going to transfer that I'm on this iPad, my eyeballs bulging out? Or is it going to transfer to them, man, I was hungry. My dad took the time to put me to the table and give me some food to eat. Because that's showing the love of Christ, not I'm, I'm studying for a message. It's like, you know, again, it's that holy, holier than thou mentality. Like, okay, you're, 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 such a, you're such a pastor that you're studying the word of God, but you can't, you know, love your kids. Like God cares more about me loving my kids and preparing for the message. I'll be, I'll be so honest with you guys right now. The reality is all this stuff comes to me like clockwork because it's all about what I do in my day-to-day life. This stuff the, the Holy Spirit takes control of that. He quickens your spirit in a minute. I don't sit and cram for three hours at a time studying for a message. It's not like that, and it's not realistic, you know? Now, if I was somewhere in Calcutta doing something else, maybe that would be the case, but that's not how it is, right? Here is, no, you live out your life, and the Holy Spirit, the Lord will provide you what you need. It's a funny side note, but I just felt led to share that, you guys. <clears throat> All right. Let's move on, because I am... <laughs> oh, talk about Captain Crunch and kids complaining. All right. Next, we see Paul is leaving the saints here at this location. Paul gathered the disciples together to say goodbye. But after Paul's time in Macedonia and Greece, he would be able to gather the elders from Ephesus to uh, Minutus for another farewell. So, okay. Here we see Paul is now gone from Ephesus to Macedonia, little places in between and on to Greece. He's being bounced around like a pinball in a pinball machine. 
But the thing that we need to notice here is that what he doesn't do, he doesn't complain. You once never hear Paul complain. He's willing to move on. He's willing to go wherever the Lord is calling him. The Holy Spirit prompted him to move, and he moved. This is important because it points out the fact that it's the Lord who ultimately determines where you and I go and for how long we will be there, right? The reality is for not us to get caught up with where we're at and why we're not somewhere else. Because I could complain all day and say, man, I'm in this diaper of Milpitas. How come, Lord, you didn't set me over the church on the hill? I should be over there. I should be in a big old building. I should be, you know... It's not about that. We need to be faithful where he's called us, right? This is where we need to be and how we can be effective. You think of Peter, and not the boat when he walked out and he drowned, but, you know, when, when, when Jesus told him, you know, draw your nets. And they're like, dude, you serious? We've been out all night, and you're telling us to go and draw our nets? But the reality was Peter made his boat available. The fact that Peter made that boat, boat available where he was at, the Lord blessed them richly. For us, we need to be letting our lives be available where we're at for the Lord to have effective ministry in our lives. What is it that you and I have that we're not making available to the Lord? What is it? Is it our lives entirely? What are we not, use, what are we not allowing Him to use where we're at? He wants to use us where we're at. We simply must decide that the Lord has allowed me to be in the place where I am and I will serve him faithfully here until he moves me if he decides to even move me at all. Maybe we'll stay forever in the diaper. Or I don't know where, I don't know what you guys call San Jose where you live, but this I call this place the diaper. I'm sorry. It just that's just what I call it. Some get fixed on the grass is greener, envious of another place, another church or another ministry. That is the worst thing to do. Don't 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 judge don't judge this church and that church. We're all different parts of the body. Somebody's got to be the bicep. Somebody's got to be the big toe. Somebody's got to be, you know, some hair up in the nostril. It all has its place. If you didn't have hair in your nostril, you know you're not going to filter through all the junk that can potentially get up in your whole system and mess you up. So those little hairs, as nasty as they are, they have their function and their place. Be grateful that you're in the body. I don't care. I'll be, a, I'll be a rusty toenail in the body of Christ. Just include me in the body. You don't, what you don't want is to be outside of the body. You don't want to be some little coronavirus outside of the body. You're going to be in the bottomless pit, and it's not going to be a good look. So just be grateful where you're at. This is the best way to be effective in the work of the Lord that he's given us to do, to be grateful for where you are and to serve him faithfully. If he's called you to clean toilets, clean toilets faithfully. If he's called you to fold chairs, fold chairs faithfully. In his time, he will raise you up to whatever he's called you to be. If we are truly pilgrims here on earth and this isn't our eternal home, then it shouldn't be a big deal if we get shifted and moved around to wherever the Lord has called us to be at that point in time. Amen? All right, we see here that Paul spent three months in Greece encouraging the saints here. But then there was a plot made against him by some of these offended Jews. They wanted to take his life. Many times we take the position of outsiders trying to destroy the church. And that's true. In many instances, there are simply people that just hate God. They hate Christians. They hate believers of Christ. And they want nothing more than to destroy the church and that's a given and you know we really shouldn't be moved by that because it's like okay you've chose your stance you've aligned yourself with satan and that's the that's where that's what you want to do but the worst of all are those who believe they actually know god right people that actually believe they're serving him yet they attack god's servants and that's what's going on in our text today the application is we need to be cautious of those who claim that they know Christ and that they are about his work. Again, being a good fruit inspector, observing and analyzing what is going on. Can I see truth in this individual's life or is it a bunch of falsehood? The writing will be on the wall. You will be able to discern the difference between the two. 
I'm not telling you to be obsessed about this, but I am telling you to be aware because some Christians walk around loosey-goosey with no clue of what's going on and just being like, God's protecting me. God's got me covered. Okay, that may be very well and true, but you are still given a mind with cognitive abilities. If God is the master, master craftsman, there's a reason why your brain works the way it does. There's a, way, there's a reason why your brain works in conjunction with your spirit and your soul and your heart and your emotions the way it does. And when you turn some of those off and just walk around blind, dare I say, you are not using the wisdom that God has given you very well. We need to be aware of what and who is going on around us. We need to be able to decipher real from fake, truth from lies. But again, this is only possible with submission to the Holy Spirit and allowing the Holy Spirit to prompt us in our spirits to know what is going on. All right, last two verses. Verses 4 through 6. Again, forgive me if I butcher these names. Sopater, the Berean, son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him, speaking of Paul, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Segundus, and Gatius of Derby and Timothy, and the Asians, Tychius and Trophimus. <laughs> okay. These went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas, but we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days we came to them at Troas where we stayed for seven days. Okay, so here we see Paul setting out on his next missionary journey. One thing that we need to really take into account when we look at this context is it was no small feat to meet up with your homeboys back then like it was today. It was no small feat. It was a big deal. You think about it even today, even in our present state with this whole COVID-19 and all this other stuff that the government's trying to implement or is imp implementing these lockdown orders, this and that, uh, curfews being implemented, we still have the advantage of technology more than they had in Paul's day and age. We can easily know what's going on via our cell phones. Get up on your mobile device. You can check and see this is what's going on. You can even, you know, if you don't got an iPhone, you can do the Google Duo. You can see people face to face. We have that going on. But for Paul and his companions, they had to travel long distances just to communicate. By land, they had to go through treacherous terrain, which would take a long time. Or if they went by water, there was very dangerous seas that they would go on. And the technology wasn't as great as it was today. They didn't have ships like Greatest Catch where you could just be in the Arctic and be all crazy. No, they didn't have that. They would have been tossed really to and fro and it would have been all bad. Even if... Uh, at the very least, they wanted to r pen something. They would have to write a letter, and that letter would still have to either go by land or by sea, so it would take a whole long time to get to its uh, destination. And it may not even get there. It may get intercepted, and it never make it. A journey as this one that Paul was about to embark on could have, could have easily cost him his life. The seas are always unpredictable, and you never know when you would run into choppy water. Plus, with these Jews plotting to kill him, it's been said by some biblical scholars that there was some Jews even upon that boat plotting to kill him on the sea. So there was a lot going on with just trying to meet up with his companions. Next, we are introduced to Paul's traveling companions. These men were more than likely representatives from all these other churches in these regions, right? who had sent money with Paul to Jerusalem. That was one of the main reasons why they were there. They were also present, present as ambassadors from those churches Paul had founded to vouch for his good stewardship of the money that was collected. This is important to point out because it shows us accountability. No one does things on their own. Everyone is held accountable for what they are given and how they use it. And we see this example here. They didn't just give the money to Paul and just be like, go on your way, we just trust you. Not that they didn't trust him, but it's like, again, they're being fruit inspectors on their own. Let's make sure that this man is doing what he says he's doing. And again, they accompanied him for some partly of this purpose here. Okay, the, the, the last of the time, I wanna spend focus on two particular uh, uh, people, the companions that Paul was riding out with. Uh, they are Aristarchus and Segundus. Both of these men came from Thessalonica. But they were on totally different opposite ends of the spectrum. Aristarchus 
was connected with aristocracy, hence the name, the ruling class. It was likely that he came from a wealthy and powerful family. Segundus, on the other hand, was a common name for a slave. It meant second, hence Segundus, right? You guys get the connection, you're smart people. Slaves were often not called by their true names, and the first-ranking slave in households would often be, often be called Primus. The second-ranking slave would be called Segundus. Okay, now that we know that, that's our backdrop. The application is this. It's a beautiful picture. It's a great picture. It shows two different men. We see that the heart of Jesus is why they came, because they're totally different. They're totally different. One is all about they've had you know, the, 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 the great things of this world, and this other has just been a slave, has had nothing. But we see that Jesus came to be a sin offering for all mankind to both of these men. It didn't matter that one was rich and one was poor as a slave. Jesus came for both. At the foot of the cross, all human beings are equal. The cross is truly the great equalizer. No race, color, class, or gender has a leg up on one or the other at the feet of Jesus Christ. We are all sinners in desperate need of salvation. What a beautiful picture. What a great picture to see someone from a wealthy background literally in the same boat, pun intended, with someone who was a poor slave. Romans chapter 2 verse 11 simply tells us, For God shows no partiality. He's a just God. If you love Him by accepting Jesus, His Son, as your salvation, then you'll be saved. It doesn't matter what culture you come from, what race you are, what class you are from, or what economic place you are from. A believer and follower of Jesus Christ is just that, a believer and follower of Christ. The blood of the Lamb is what unifies us all today. You look around right now. The fact that our fellowship is diverse is a testament to the truth of God's Word. The church should be diverse. I know in certain areas and regions there are certain churches that are made up of certain racial groups. And okay, that it is what it is. We get that from just the demographics and from the, the history of, of our country. But there should be a diversity, right? There should be an okaying of different people coming in to the body of Christ. The Lord's church should be vibrant with diversity. What the Bible doesn't does not teach, excuse me, is being tolerant of sin. You see, that's where the world and the church differ. The world right now is all about inclusive, include everybody. Uh, there's so many and, and you know, forgive me. I am not trying to disrespect anyone from any gender or whatnot, but some of these commercials, I don't know if it's a man or a woman or who it is and who they are targeting, but it is, and it's just, we're all good. Yes, we are all good in the sense of Jesus makes us good, but we don't accept the sin of every person that comes up in here. We don't. We accept you as you are, come as you are, but leave changed. Allow the Lord to change you from the inside out. You should not be the same after you've had an encounter with Christ. Old habits should fall off like dead leaves, not allowed to stick around and fester and grow. But again, this all comes back full circle to humility. You and I first have to humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God, admitting to Him that we are sinners in need of salvation. Once that happens, restoration can occur and we are healed. Until that, uh, until that point, we are what the Bible calls kicking against the goads. Who's heard that? You guys know what that expression means. If you don't know, it's simply there was a tool that old farmers would use and they would, it would be used to push these, these animals that were stubborn. But these stubborn animals, they would kick against it, you know? And it's like, dude, you're cutting up your leg because you don't want to move. And sometimes, unfortunately, we're like that. The Lord's like, go, <laughs> go, right? And we're like, no. And we're kicking against the goads and we're just spiritually robbing ourselves of blessings and, and, and things that the Lord wants to provide for us because we're unwilling to submit. We're unwilling to go where He says go. We need be not like that. We need be those that are allowing the Lord to lead us to whatever de destination He's called us to go to. It's like, how many times must we bang our heads against a concrete wall before we realize 
that's not good. <laughs> it's not good. Stop doing that. Stop making those bad choices. Allow the Lord to be the ruler and savior of your life. Quit trying to do it on your own. But sometimes some of us are really knuckleheads. Lastly, we see here that Paul left after the days of unleavened bread. In five days, they would meet up in Troas, and in seven days, they would move on again from here. This was the time of high and holy season for the Jews, the time of the Passover celebration in Jerusalem. I'm ending with this, and this is a great picture. I love this picture. Remember the symbolism of making bread without leaven because the Passover was all about that, right? Galatians chapter 5 verse 9 tells us a little leaven leavens the whole lump, right? Yeast, whenever you put yeast in anything you bake, it doesn't stay isolated, right? It expands and that was the whole point. That was the symbolism behind them making the bread without yeast before they, you know, while they killed the, the animal and then they put the blood over the doorpost so the angel would pass over. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. A little sin, a little sin, a little hidden sin in our life, it leavens the whole spiritual life. Sin is the exact same way. How dare we toy with the idea that we can have our secret sin and with the same mouth profess God. It should not be so. It should never be so. Be sure your sin my sin will find us out. This is the whole thing about, again, keeping short accounts with the Lord. In order to be used to build up other saints, you got to have short accounts with the Lord. You can't allow sin to go undetected in your personal life and then expect to be used in a great way in other people's lives. The Lord is always going to be like, get you done first, then you're in a healthy state spiritually to be used for other people. I can guarantee you, if I did not give my son cereal this morning and I did not get my daughter out of the living room and put her on the chair and give her food too, this wouldn't have been a good message. Simply because there's a sin of omission right there as blatant as that and I chose to say, you know what? Oh, I'm, I'm looking at my notes on the iPad. That's more important. The Lord says, hogwash. Take care of your kids and I'll take care of my word. He doesn't need me. The rocks will cry out. He doesn't need none of us. Right? All creation knows him. So it's not about that. But it, it is about understanding this whole thing. Do not let a little sin go hidden in your hearts. Allow the Lord to take it all out so you can be a clean vessel used for his honor and his glory. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you again just for, just for you, Lord. You, you make everything right. You make everything crystal clear. Uh, it's just up to us to submit to your rule and your authority in our lives and allow you to do the work that only you can do. Thank you for the examples that we find in Scripture today of how Paul was willing to go wherever he, you needed him to go. He didn't complain. He was always about not only telling people about Jesus, but seeing other believers grow in their spiritual maturity. Thank you that we see an example from Aristarchus and Segundus of you came for all people. You don't care if we got money. You don't care if we're dirt poor. You want all of us to come to submission to your son, Jesus Christ. So may we be used as examples in this little church of resilient life. And may we be those that keep short accounts with you, that don't kick against the goads, but, but simply submit and obey. Father, we thank you and love you. It's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen.